preaching of God's Word, then is Psalm 51 and verse 10. And there we read the Word of God, Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. These few words, yet full of much insight regarding our need, even as believers, of course, have seen so clearly how David has founded his constant appeal upon God's mercy. And even in this verse, you'll see how clearly that is in that David simply says, create it in me and renew it in me. He doesn't say something along the lines of, here's what I'm going to give to you in order to do it, but he simply asks once more as he's been asking that God would mercifully deal with him in this way. Christianity, that is true religion, is far more than right doctrine and right practice. It includes those things and is zealous to uh, continue to propagate the truth of God's Word. It doesn't wish to compromise even the slightest doctrine because if it's the teaching of God's Word, it's the teaching of God, which is precious to the believer. And, of course, true religion, Christianity, embraces right practice. It desires not to swerve so much as the breadth of one hair from the right law of God, because the law of God is good and holy. And when it is we see these compromises, we don't just toss our hands up in the air and say, who cares? But rather, as elsewhere is described, we find our souls grieved, even by these little transgressions as the world would characterize them. But we ought to see, as the Scriptures do elsewhere and here uh, display, that Christianity is not only right doctrine, orthodoxy, or right practice, orthopraxy, but it is both of these engaged by the inward man. The inward man is transformed. And this is a balance that is so mishandled today that people see the erroneous doctrines and say, here's the need of our day. We simply need right doctrine. And if we could just get the Bible well taught and the confession of faith articulated and uh, presented and so on, everything would be fixed. And others say, well, it's not doctrine because doctrine just deadens. What we need is practice and so on. We need all of these sorts of approaches to how we live because the life of people is so messed up and confounded. And yet, it's actually both of these, and yet more than both of these. It's both of these that engages the heart of man. That the heart of man is from the inward depths of one's soul loving the truth, delighting in holiness. So it's not just about have I confessed to the right form of sound words? And it's not only am I engaged in the right actions that are prescribed by God's Word, but the true religion as taught in the Scriptures have these things put upon us and yet engaged by us from a living heart. And this is part of what David is seeking. He has swerved from God's commandments. He had turned from the right path of God's law. And yet, though he does wish to be 
as it were, outwardly restored in his actions, he appeals to God for that which would bring about the transformation of his actions. And it's that God would create in him a clean heart and renew a right spirit within him. This word create is that word which is used of the opening chapters of the Bible when God created the heavens and the earth, which would include this outright production of what didn't stand before, but also as he goes on to form it and shape it and give it order and structure. And so David is asking that God would do that, notice, for his heart. Do it in me. Create this in me. And this word clean has uh, much use regarding the ceremonial things of clean animals versus unclean animals. Clean things versus unclean. And this is helping us see what David's asking about. He wants a heart, the inward man, that which thinks and desires and so on. He wants that set apart unto God in fellowship. He desires that which is pure in God's size and thus able to draw near to God. And then he says, renew a right spirit within me. This word renew is elsewhere translated with reference to the temple that had fallen in disrepair as that God raised up some and He gave carpenters to repair the house of God. It had broken apart. It had been broken down and it was in shambles and ruins. And so there were those workers who were gathered together to repair or renew the temple of God. To bring it back to what it was supposed to be and to beautify it with all of those adornments that God had prescribed. And this, David says, he wants of his spirit. But notice, he wants it to be a right spirit. That is, a steadfast, or as the margin indicates, a constant spirit. He doesn't want want fits and fancies, these momentary thrills of his soul where he is, for a moment, highly energized, only for another season to be as it were, disengaged. He wants constancy, steadfastness of inward desire. Some of us can look back and we see in our cultivating of some form of spirituality this sort of living by the thrills of excitement. Here's a youth conference. Here's an activity. Here's the moment. And now we're thrilled and we feel all the rush of affection. And David says, I don't want that. I don't want that thrill that passes. What I want is a spirit that remains constant and steadfast and fixed upon what is right and good. I want a heart that doesn't just rush for a season with the heights of all other things, only to crash in uh, that which follows. But I rather want a heart, an inward man, which is stable and steadfast and constant in purity before the Lord. Brethren, if there is any grace in us, such is our desire as well. That we would not just rush up only to be deflated again, but that God would build us and make us steady in the course of purity before Him. And so we wish to think of the spiritual renewal. What we can see that David's getting at is something of his departure from the way of God's law was because 
his heart had become unclean, impure, and his spirit had become inconstant and no longer steadfast. And so we can see, for one thing, from the outset, that the great breaches of God's law often begin with these little departures and inconstancies of steadfastness. If one is constant and disciplined and diligent in the cultivating of purity, in the loving of God and fellowshipping and communing with Him, he and she will be more able by God's grace to resist those grand temptations that present themselves to us. Because little by little, they're working along by God's grace in the cultivating of the purity of love to Him. Well, we wish to look at this uh, theme of the prayer as David seeks for this inward renewal. And firstly, we'll look at the need for renewal. Secondly, the meaning of renewal. And lastly, the way of renewal. Why is it a need? What does it mean? And how does it come to pass? So firstly then, the need for renewal. Simple understanding, of course, is that as we look at the language, David is testifying as he longs for a clean heart, his heart is unclean. As he's longing for a steadfast spirit, his heart is not steadfast. It's not constant. And all of this, of course, is related to the overall context. David had sinned. The need for renewal, and by the way, for the Christian, is because of sin. Sin pollutes and it defiles. Sin is never contained. Sometimes we think that we can somehow put sin in a certain chamber in our life and it will remain there. But it's more like into taking some drop of dye and dropping it into a cup of water. And what happens is it goes through and it spreads about. It doesn't stay, as it were, one drop in an isolated portion of that volume. It rather starts to go throughout. And this is what sin does. Sin doesn't just stay in one spot. It's not an obedient vice. There's no such thing. So soon as sin, as it were, is engaged, it starts its course rushing through and corrupts our thoughts and desires and actions in all arenas of life. Who knows where David, it seems, began this course. There's implication as uh, the history of this, the time came for kings to go off to war and David's left at home. Perhaps that's where it is. Instead of being constant in his calling of a king to go forth with his armies and to guide and lead and govern them, he sat back in his comforts of his royal home. But whatever the case, what we do know is this. Sin itself is a pollutant. Sometimes you can be driving down the, the highway and something unseen, noxious to your uh, smell and to your lungs, comes into your window and you are struck with that sense. What is this? And you want fresh air and you drive through. Perhaps you hit it on recirculation or roll down the windows. Whatever it is that's hit you and it's defiling, as it were, your sense of smell and your ability to breathe, and you want fresh air. That's what David is getting at. My heart feels that. My soul is wrestling with that. Sin 
defiles us. You can remember when God looked upon that generation that He would destroy in the flood, He characterized them as a polluted thing. And so in Genesis in chapter 6, there at verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sin had permeated mankind. By the way, that truth remains after the flood. But we need to remember that this is nothing that is peculiar to the unbeliever because sin, of course, remains in the believer still. This is why, as we read in Ephesians 4, there's the need to put off, though there is the work begun, that the reigning of those lusts have been put off. There's to be the constant fighting against these things by the grace of God. You can see this elsewhere in 2 Corinthians and chapter 7, when Paul again is exhorting Christians, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, listen to the language, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, the believer who has promises is to be engaged in this because the believer is one who still has a degree of uncleanness. Think of this, you who have had children and work with children in any degree, you don't simply say, well, you've done your chore of cleaning the sink, therefore it never needs to be cleaned again. It's a daily work. It picks up filth again because it's being used. Christ, of course, you'll remember, comes to His disciples and He says to Peter, who says, wash me through and through. He says, you have not need to be washed except your feet. And there's an implication there. This comprehensive cleansing has taken place. But as our feet, as it were, are daily picking up and our movements in this world, the filth of the earth, so it is our souls are picking up and engaged in various degrees of sin that need a constant application of God's grace. In this world, sin remains active in the believer. And thus, in this world, the believer needs renewal by the Spirit of God. Well, Why is this a big deal? It's because, as David sees, not only does sin pollute and defile and lead to the outbreak of scandalous sin, such as adultery and murder, but sin pollutes and defiles and hinders and prevents the enjoyment of fellowship with God. This is what's embedded in the language of his desire for a clean heart, a heart which is not unclean. That language, of course, to the worshiping and believing Jew would have been very familiar. They would have known instantly the connection between clean and unclean. An unclean thing could not go before the priest. An unclean thing could not enter into the tabernacle and then to the temple. An unclean thing could not fellowship with the people of God. The uncleanness prevented fellowship. What was a leper to cry out in his leprosy? Unclean! And what did that mean? Stay away! Don't come near me! I'm polluted! I'm defiled! And brethren, what's true of those ceremonial things is true of the real thing itself, sin. Sin is unclean unto God. And it prevents the enjoyment 
a fellowship with him. This is actually quite helpful when we think through this. David had not lost salvation. David had not lost his justification. What David had lost by his sin is the enjoyment of fellowship with God. His enjoyment and his liberty before God, his engagement and all of those privileges had now been interrupted. It's similar to when it is that one sins against you or you sin against another. It's not that your relationship is necessarily ruined and done and broken and off, but there's now a hindrance to the enjoyment of that fellowship with one another, such that you have to go and say, or that one has to come and say, you know, I've sinned against you, would you forgive me? And then it restores and it removes the hindrance that was impeding and disrupting the enjoyment of that friendship or relationship and that fellowship together. Notice the language of the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1. And there at verse 6, John says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. You see, the enjoyment of fellowship with God is enjoyed as we walk in the light as He is in the light with the blood of Christ cleansing us. And this is why so much of this psalm has been dealing with the notion of His need for pardon and purifying. Because He knew that He needed the blood of the Messiah applied to Himself. But He also realized that He needed an inward work of the Spirit transforming His heart that it would no longer be unclean, but clean, so as to enjoy the fellowship of God. Now before moving on, we should see that there is an absolute need of such renewal for the unbeliever. The heart is not, as it were, deadened for the unbeliever. The heart of the unbeliever is dead. It is lifeless. The heart of the believer is not infiltrated by sin. It is possessed of sin. It is sin. This is the nature of fallen man. And this is why the Scriptures will speak of taking out the heart of stone and giving the heart of flesh. Not sinful flesh, but the living flesh. Instead of a stone heart, now there is a real heart given. A living heart. But even for the believer... There is the need of constant renewal and the cleansing by the blood of Christ as David has demonstrated and the creation and provision of an inward renewal. This is something we have by various degrees and to various extents. But notice secondly then what the meaning of this renewal is. So we've seen the need. Sin, it pollutes, pollutes even the believer and thus prevents fellowship and the enjoyment of fellowship with God. So what is this renewal that takes place? Well, the language is in parallel. Create a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Both words, heart and spirit, are throughout the Scriptures touching upon the inward thoughts and desires of the man. And so you'll sometimes see the expression that the heart is the seat of, of affection. It's the throne from which our desires flow. 
you'll see in the Scriptures regularly such expressions as, He said in His heart. He spoke in His heart. What's being said? He had thoughts and intentions inwardly that He didn't speak outwardly. It wasn't as if His mouth was moving and sound was being heard, but the thoughts were passing through His soul inwardly. You, right now, are having thoughts in your heart. As you're thinking, your soul is engaged. And this is the idea that uh, uh, David is getting at. He needs his inward reality cleansed. His spirit is the same notion. He needs that made constant and renewed. It needs to be repaired. What a word that is. It had grown old. It had become in many ways, broken down, but it hadn't lost what it was. It was still His Spirit. It needed now repairing and reconfiguring. Well, the psalm has already given us the essence of what this means because David has again and again asked for two things. He's asked for pardon and he's asked for purifying, both of which are bound up in this notion. To be clean, one must be pardoned of his transgressions. To be clean, one must be purified. Both of those ideas are throughout the Old Testament. And that's the background for what David's getting at. He's saying, I've become unclean through my defilement. I need then to be pardoned, and I need to be purified within. So you think of garments that could be unclean, and then they would go through a process of washing and purifying. You think of... uh, Illnesses that would make unclean. And then upon their uh, going through and being healed, they would need to be purified and restored. This is what David's getting at. This is renewal. Renewal is not just an inward feeling. It brings a feeling. But renewal is the transformation of the heart. First and foremost, by the pardoning of God, forgiving us our sins. But secondly by the renewing and purifying of our hearts, causing us not to be inconstant and desiring things that are contrary to God's law, but rather made constant and fixed upon the delight of God's law. And so the meaning is that God would address the inward fountain of all that we are. This is why their exhortations, Proverbs 4.23 Keep the heart with all diligence. Literally in the Hebrew, guard it with all guarding. All of your attention, give it to this. Because from it flows the issues of life. You see, David doesn't just want this doctrinal notion fixed. He doesn't want just this little practice tweaked. He doesn't just want a revolution in this theater of his life over here. He wants the very source of it all addressed by God. He's desiring the whole of his being to be pardoned. And he's desiring the whole of his being to be purified. Again, we've referenced 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. Notice that language. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can you see there's a positive and negative aspect to it? There's the putting off cleansing, purifying ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Remember, sin defiles it, that which is 
uh, polluting. And it's astounding the language that is used elsewhere as it speaks of sin as that which is likened unto vomit and dung. Think of that for a moment. Two things that if you found upon your outward man would instantly cause you disgust. And yet how many of us are willing to walk around with the equivalent spiritually polluting our hearts? David has been brought to see that that's what sin is in him. And he says, this is deplorable. This is disgusting. This is despised by me. I need you, O God, to wash this from me, to take it from me. And here's the astounding thing for more so, is that when we see what sin is, we realize that we have ordered ourselves unto it. We've actually cultivated an approach unto sin, this wickedness. Could you imagine for a moment finding something uh, defiling and disgusting on your shoe and you look at it and someone points it out to you, you wouldn't say, well, you know, I purposely walked through that. You would stand back and say, oh, how sick. Take your shoe off and take care of that thing. But here, of course, sin is the willful engaging of our souls in what pollutes. And David is saying, Lord, my need is that You would so work as to wash it from me and reorder my heart that I would love what is true and good and holy and right. But also, as we see in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, there's the positive. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's not just the reordering us away from sin, away from that which pollutes. It's ordering us unto what is pure and holy. Making us delight in these things. Brethren, if you want a crash course in it, read through Psalm 119. And you'll see this again and again coming up as he's desiring to be quickened, enlivened, made alive within according to the law of God. Quicken me in the knowledge of your precepts, your testimonies, your law, your commandments. I want to love and long for what is holy and just and good. What is the renewal of God's Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in various ways. He renews our minds to think upon His law. He inscribes His law upon our heart. What's taking place? There is the renovation of the whole man to be in fellowship with God. That's what renewal is. It's bringing us to long for God, to long for His Word, to delight in His law, to live by His promises. It's orienting all of our desires toward Him. Now, the Lord, of course, is sovereign in this as we see. And yet, we must recognize what it is that He's sovereign in doing. He's sovereign in ordering us to long for Him. So you can think of it this way. What is a promise of the Bible? It's God's promise. What is a commandment of God's law? It's God's commandment. And when it is He renews us, He makes us to believe His promise, and He makes us to delight in His law. And so when Paul says in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God, after the inward man, he's speaking of a renewed heart. Now, it's not perfect because he still wrestled with sin. And we've seen that with David, and we know that with ourselves. 
but it is the acknowledgement that God renews us to love these things. The difference between a servant and a son in truth is a servant is under constraint to do what his master says, while a son out of love and relationship does what his father says. That's the basic meaning throughout Scripture. Now the wonder, of course, is that God makes us His willing servants and loyal sons. But brethren, we can see something. David is saying, I don't want to be a servant, a slave, that is merely afraid of the lash and whip of correction. I want my heart brought to long for and to delight in God Himself. And notice that it's all expressed by prayer. God, You do it. This leads us to then the way of renewal. The way of renewal is first a way that is brought to be by God. The way of renewal is divine. It is sovereignly provided. In other words, there is no renewal except God be the first cause, except God be the first mover. And we've seen this already. Remember that it's God who sends Nathan to confront David. God has been at work already. He's come and He sent His Word, but as we've seen earlier, He blessed His Word to David. He didn't just give the common, as it were, call. He gave the effectual call by His Word to cause David to be convicted, to repent, and to turn from his way. You can see this in many places, but if you look at 1 Thessalonians, you'll see an illustration of the sovereignty of God in the renewal of His people. So for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, notice Paul's appeal, the very God of peace. Oh, what an expression this is. Worthy of meditation. You want something to meditate on. You wonder what is meditation. Take this one phrase. Sanctify you wholly. May the God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This comprehensive consecration, this renewal that is within and leads to the outside display of holiness is that which is brought to pass by the true God of peace who sanctifies. If God does not work, there is no renewal. If God is not at work, there's nothing else that can be done. There are means that can be employed, as we'll see, But the means are only useful or productive if God blesses the means. Think of this, children. It's not so much the time right now, but in a few months' time, there will be uh, children who are thirsty and they come inside for water. And they come where? To the faucet. And they get out their cup and they put it under the faucet and they turn on the faucet. But we all know this. It's not the faucet that is, as it were, the satisfying of their thirst. It's the water. And if the faucet's broken, or the pipe's broken, or the water main's shut off, 
or the, uh, uh, the system is, is, is worthless, there will be no water coming through the means that conveys the water to the cup, which then is used to satisfy the thirst. Well, the same is true with the means of grace. We come to the means of grace. There would be no hope of satisfying the thirst if the child runs to the toaster or runs to the microwave oven or runs to the oven itself and looks there for the provision of water. Because water doesn't come through those things. He must go to the means by which water is conveyed to us. And the same is true with the spiritual renewal that we so long for. We don't go to places of entertainment in order to be spiritually renewed. We don't go to mere uh, natural places for our body's delight in order to be spiritually renewed. We go before the means of grace which God employs and we look to Him to bless them. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, having these promises, there are, there's a means. He gives us promises by which He conveys to us that life which is able to work within us the cleansing of ourselves from all sin and iniquity and transgression. And so it's God who must sovereignly act. It's God who must be the first mover. It's God who must be at work if ever we're to be renewed. But it's by His means that He has ordained these blessings to come. And so it's no wonder that we see David engaged in a means of grace. The primary and ordinary means of grace, those things which convey to us the supply of grace and the person and work of Christ include the Word and sacraments and prayer. What is David engaged in here? He's engaged in prayer. He's appealing to God, create in me, bring to pass this very truth. He's been engaged in the Word because Nathan came to him and it's been ruminating. He's been ruminating upon it in his mind. Meditating upon the Word of God. He's thought of the sacrifices which were before him and he appeals to the hyssop which was dipped in the sacrificial blood. All of these means are converging together and he's engaging in them appealing to what? Not that his prayer would be that cause, but that through His prayer, God would hear Him and provide to Him that desired blessing. This gives us guidance. It's not our prayer which merits or ultimately causes the renewal. But it is prayer which seeks God who provides the renewal. We make use of the means which God has given. Think, we'll come to this later on a different Wednesday before us, but in Colossians and chapter 3, you can see this very notion of being renewed by the means of grace. Colossians 3 and verse 16, as Paul is exhorting, as we've been seeing this newness of life, he includes in verse 16 that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, there are two things to note. One thing to note is that there are many things, but one thing is the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of the Old Testament is nothing short of 
the Word of Christ. Next time, brother or sister, that someone says, well, we want Christian songs, you just open to Colossians 3, verse 16 and say, we get to sing Christ's songs. That's what the Psalms are. They're the Word of Christ. And we get to sing nothing short of the divinely inspired and Christ-saturated Word of Christ. But notice how it functions. As we sing them, it's the means by which they begin to take root in our lives. And they abide in us. They dwell in us. They transform us. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you, abide in you, live in you. Well, how does that come to pass? Paul says it. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's not that it magically happens and we just sort of go into a trance and boom, now it's in us. It's not that we go to sleep one night and all of a sudden wake up and now the Word of Christ is abiding in us. We're to be engaged in the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And as God works sovereignly, He plants that in us and it takes, as it were, root in us and it bears fruit through us. It's the engaging of God by the means that transforms and renews us. Now this is but one. The reading of God's Word is another. The participating in the sacraments according to God's institution is another. As we've seen, prayer is another. Meditation is another. These are means engaged by which God works to renew our souls. Well, where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us in all of these things looking to God to make use of the means. But what is it He's doing by the means? What he's doing is he's applying to us his grace through the work of Christ. Now, we've seen this on Wednesdays, but it's good to see this freshly before us. Notice Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 26. What God is doing is not just abstractly being gracious, but it is that he is applying the person and work of Christ to the soul. And we can get behind that in David's appeal, purge me with hyssop. Here it is. It's very tangible. Here's the hyssop dipped in blood. And now I want you to wash, that, wash me by that blood. But that's an image he's using. Notice as a help, Ephesians 5 and verse 26. It's there we read that Christ gave Himself for the church that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. He uses the Word to wash and purify His people. What is that? By applying to Himself, to themselves, His death. He gave Himself. His death on the cross was for them. And He purifies them by that being applied by the means of the Word, bringing it unto us that by faith we would embrace the truth of Christ. In other words, there's not a divorced way of renewal from Christ. The only spiritual renewal that ever shall be is as God draws near to us by the means and supplies us the application of Christ, His person, His work, His benefits. 
This is why, with clarity, as the Gospel records the ministry of Christ, the epistles then explain and interpret and help us understand. And it's all constantly focused on the fact that Christ is our Savior, that we're in Christ, that we're to seek Christ, that we're to set our mind upon Christ and dwell with Christ and abide in Him and meditate upon Him and commune with Him. All of these things are directing us with greater clarity to Christ. Now brethren, if David knew this in the season of shadows, how much more should we know it when the noonday of God's covenant grace has arised and is shining with great clarity? It's Christ! It's Christ! It's Christ! Look to Christ! Make use of the means. Appeal to God. But all of it must be looking to Christ. We don't make an idol of the Bible. If one could do that, it's not like some superstitious I carry the Bible around, therefore I must be okay. Rather, we make use of the Bible as it's God's Word, searching for and seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't make an idol of the sacraments, if one can do that. But rather, we engage in the sacraments looking to Christ. We don't make an idol of psalm singing, if one could do that. But rather, we sing these words that the Word of Christ would dwell in us. In all of these things, we're seeking our soul's restructuring, renewal, and cleansing by means of those means by which God makes Christ known to us. This is why the Bible being read is such a constant backbone activity because the Bible is full of Christ. Anticipated, prophesied, shadowed forth, signified, recorded in history, explained and applied from Genesis to Revelation. Isn't it astounding? that Genesis 3 introduces the first promise of the Gospel as God speaks to the serpent and says, you know, He'll crush your head. You'll bruise His heel the seed of the woman, this descendant of Eve. He's going to come and He's going to destroy you, though He Himself will be stung in the process. And then as the prophecies develop, as the ceremonies and shadows are coming forth, it finally becomes clearer and clearer all of the details that will point out this is the Christ. And then the Gospels come. And the fullness of time comes. And what happens? God sends forth His Son. The Son comes and fulfills every jot, every tittle of every commandment and every prophecy so that one would have to be willfully blind to neglect this fact that Christ is the Savior. And so Christ comes and He accomplishes everything. It's finished. He dies. He gives up the ghost. He's buried. He remains under the power of death for three days. He arises, ascends, He reigns in heaven, He'll come again. And the epistles are opening all these things. And in the book of Revelation, what's said? The saints are delighting in Him who washed them from their own sins with His own blood. From beginning to end, the fixation of purity is upon the person and work of Christ. And yet, brethren, it can be maddening to ourselves How often we sense the deadness of our souls and we turn to other things than to Christ. It can be maddening to us when the churches all around have all of these activities. Well, spiritual deadness, what do we need to do? We need to change the music. 
We need to change the activities. We need to change the interior decorations. We need to change the times. We need to change when we're meeting. They won't come on Sundays. Let's have a Saturday night. All of these things are going because they've missed the point. Renewal, revival, all of this grace comes with and by Christ. This is why Paul doesn't cave in. And he doesn't let Timothy or any preacher cave in. When he says in 2 Timothy 4, preach the Word. Preach the Word in season and out of season. The time will come when they have tickling ears and they'll want all sorts of other things. Here's the problem. All the things they want are utterly worthless to their soul's renewal. Could you imagine someone counseling Nathan from our day? Nathan, I know that you've been told you need to go and tell David this truth of his sin, but David doesn't want to hear that. This is a bad thing. Don't tell him about his sin. Tell him about the possibility of transformation and hope and help. And don't give him a bad word. Don't come to him about convicting him of his sin. That's not the way it should be. You know, Nathan, instead, think of this. I mean, David's a king. He needs your respect and all these things. And he needs to be treated with tenderness and kindness. Don't come to him with the forthright denouncing of his sin that happened, you wouldn't have Psalm 51. If that happened, you wouldn't have all of the blessings that flow to the church because of Psalm 51. And nothing's changed in the essence of God's treatment. He comes with His Word. Preach the Word in season, out of season. Why? Because it's the Word and only the Word which conveys to us the knowledge of Christ. There's no other way of knowing Christ but by His Word. Even the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, must have the Word to interpret and explain it. There's no such thing as a silent acting of the Lord's Supper. Because the Word has to explain what's going on. Christ didn't say, look what I'm about to do, shut His mouth, and go through all the actions. He says, this is My body, which is broken for you. This cup is the New Testament My blood. And he's explaining these things. What is it? You see, the sign is attached to the Word. It helps, as it were, more clearly portray the truth to us. But it doesn't operate on its own. The way of renewal is by the means of grace, preeminently His Word, but likewise prayer and the sacraments and other such things. And so, brethren, if you and I stand in any degree of needing renewal, well, this gives us guidance. We have to seek it outside of ourselves. We have to seek it from God through Christ. We have to seek it by the means that God provides it, which on occasion will demand the heavy addressing of our sins. And yet even then, the heavy addressing of our sins is but the preparation for the weighty application of Christ to our souls. And that's not something to be looked at with any disgust, but is rather to be looked at with great delight. Oh, the more that I see my need, I see my need for Christ. And the more that I see what Christ is, the more I see that He is more than what I have need of. He has everything that I have need of. And so we gain much encouragement 
as we see this biblical and scriptural teaching that we come to God and say, oh God, I need you to do it in me. So brethren, we close with this. This sin, our sin, is what hinders our own fellowship with God. But think, it's God who provides the remedy. It's God who not only provides the remedy, but who applies the remedy. God against whom I've sinned. God against whom I've done this evil. I ask you to create in me a clean heart. I ask you to renew a right spirit in me, a steadfast, a constant spirit. I ask you to do it by the person and work of Christ. You see, this is backwards in a fallen and upside-down world because we would think we have to do it all and then present it to God and say, therefore, now add your little blessing. But the reality is the way of renewal is going to God for all. Just as you created the heavens and the earth, I need you to do this in my soul. I can't do it myself. Do you have the power to create a planet or a star Or so much as a speck of dust out of nothing? Well, as you have no power to do that, you have no power of yourself to renew your soul. But God, who made the whole universe, has the power to renew your soul by the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, what is this psalm doing? But as it's placed within the inspired book of praise, it's indicating to us how pleased God is to hear us come to Him for it to be done. Far from being discouraged at our powerlessness, He would have us encouraged by His power and grace to come and say, You, most gracious God, have mercy upon me and renew me that I may know, trust, and serve You. Would you stand with me for prayer?